So I won't recap too much of what Pastor Mark shared uh, about the woman at the well. I'll just give a couple of bullet points. But if you have your Bibles tonight, open to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. And we are going to be, as he said, continuing uh, this story and really finishing this story uh, with the woman at the well uh, in, from Samaria. And uh, we're going to be reading verses 27 all the, way, all the way to 42. Uh, but before we read it, uh, for those of you who weren't here this morning and maybe you've never read this passage or heard of this uh, encounter that Jesus had with this woman, uh, she was a woman from Samaria uh, who was going uh, to a well to draw water. Um, I don't know what all Mark went into yet this morning. I haven't watched his message yet, but uh, when I was studying it, uh, what I gathered is that she probably was coming by herself because she was an outcast in her city, uh, possibly because of her lifestyle. We don't really know those details, but there's really not many reasons for her to be going out around noontime uh, to the well other than she was an outcast and no one else wanted to be seen drawing water with this lady. So she's drawing water from the well. She's a Samaritan woman. And Jesus, being a rabbi, is tired from his journey, and he's stopping at the well uh, to meet this woman, to have this divine encounter, what she at the time didn't know would be a divine encounter. And this was really unheard of for a Jew to uh, be speaking publicly to a Samaritan woman. Uh, at the time, this was taboo. This was culturally not a good thing to do, uh, especially if you were a rabbi. To be seen interacting with a woman uh, in public as a rabbi one-on-one, -on -one, even more so a Samaritan woman, was kind of, you know, a flagrant uh, foul. And um, the Jews and Samaritans, they didn't really get along. They had some theological disagreements about where to pray, who, who's God they're worshiping, all that kind of stuff. And so for Jesus to be here with this woman was kind of an odd thing if you were there at the time witnessing this. And we see that Jesus, he seeks her out. He asks for water. Of course, we know his intentions was to uh, reveal to her that he was the Messiah, right? And so he tells her this. Uh, he, he reveals to her that he knows about her past, that he knows who she is, even though they've never met before. And so it's really this amazing revelation that this woman has of this guy that just started talking to her out of nowhere asking for water and now come to find out I think this guy might be the Messiah and so that's the picture we have uh, where we pick up this evening in uh, verse 27 so I'm going to read the whole thing through and then we're going to go through it together so John chapter 4 verse 27 and I'm reading from the ESV this evening it says, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, 
Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. Let's pray before we break this uh, down. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is life to us. It is the eternal word of God, the living, breathing, active words breathed from the Holy Spirit, given to us for revelation. And Lord, as we study this passage, Lord, your, your interaction with this lady, your, your interaction with the disciples, Lord, reveal to us what is relevant for today. And we thank you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, if you want to give this message a title, uh, well, I'll give it to you. Uh, the title of this message is The Gospel, and then in parentheses, and our false ideas about it. Okay, so you have the gospel, and then our false ideas about it. What do we do to complicate the gospel? Or what thoughts do we have that maybe prevent us from seeing the harvest, from sharing Christ with others? Whatever you want to fit in there, what are some things that we can draw from this passage that we see are maybe wrong ways to think of the gospel message? And so we look again at verse, starting in verse 27, we see right off the bat the disciples, they're amazed that Jesus is talking with this woman, right? They don't understand. And we know that they don't understand because the, John, the apostle who's writing this book, tells us what they were thinking, why is he talking to her? Right? That's literally what it says in there. Why is Jesus talking to this woman? And this reaction shows us that they clearly didn't understand what Jesus was doing, obviously. Um, he's talking to this woman. That, remember, they, they had gone to get food. Y'all read about that this morning. They went to get food. Jesus is having this encounter with this woman. And... This isn't really in my notes. I'm just, I'm just thinking of this right now. This is really cool here, and it's really a, um, a sign of God's providence for his people, the people that he's drawing to himself, his children, that, God sent his, that Jesus sent his disciples away to get food, right? So they were out of the picture. So he can meet with this woman one-on-one. -on -one. Had his disciples been there, it would have complicated the whole thing. Do you all see this picture? So... Jesus is here with this woman, meeting this woman. The disciples happen to come back just as this woman is leaving. So the disciples see Jesus talking to the woman, yet they're not interfering with what he's doing. 
So it allows Jesus to speak to this woman, and it also gives him a teaching opportunity with his disciples that we are going to break down here. So it's just really cool to see, even though that's not written down in the text, we see that how Jesus is drawing people to himself while at the same time teaching his disciples and preventing them from messing up the whole thing, right? He, he's divine, he's sovereign, he's, his providential uh, love for his people is, is on display here. And so, but anyway, uh, the way the disciples react, they clearly don't understand why Jesus is talking to this woman. Um, and so they must be missing something. What is it that they are missing? Well, we see in chapter 1 that that is of John, in chapter 1 of John, we're not going to read the passage, but we know that Jesus began to call the disciples to follow him, right? This isn't necessarily when he's saying, follow me as my true disciple, but he's calling them to, to start literally following him wherever he goes. And John the Baptist, who uh, is the last Old Testament prophet, he's, he has the, these disciples by his side, who he is preparing for the coming Messiah, which is Jesus. Jesus walks by. The, the John sees Jesus walking by and says, Behold the Lamb of God, right? And so the disciples begin to follow Jesus. And we learn in chapter 1 that as they begin to follow him, they discover that he is the Messiah. Because of his teachings, because of what he's doing, the, the way he's talking, the way he's carrying himself, he must be the Messiah. So we see in chapter 1, they find out he's the Messiah. Okay, good. They got that. In chapter 2, they see him perform his first uh, recorded miracle in the Bible. And if you've read the book of John, you know I'm talking about the wedding at Cana, where Jesus and his disciples were invited. And he does this amazing miracle where he turns water into wine. And the disciples were witness, witnesses of this. They, they witnessed it with their own eyes, so they know that he's the Messiah, they know he's a miracle worker. And it says there in chapter 2 as well, um, at the, towards the end of chapter 2, that, that he was doing more signs and wonders. It doesn't give specifics, but they saw him working miracles. So they knew he was a Messiah, they knew he was a miracle worker, yet they still were missing something. They didn't understand what Jesus was doing. So my question is, why were they so surprised that he would talk to a Samaritan woman? The answer is, they didn't yet understand the gospel. They did not understand the gospel. And so, some of us, I believe, are like these disciples. I'm not pointing any fingers here. But there are some Christians today that I think just don't quite understand the gospel. They don't quite understand what it means to be a walking light for Christ. And the disciples in this passage reflect this thought. And maybe some of us have some false ideas about the gospel. We might not understand it. We might just have some false ideas about it. And my fear is that some of these false ideas about the gospel are used to make excuses to not share it with others, that we sometimes get in, in the way of ourselves and in our own minds, and, and those thoughts creep into our heart to where we become kind of these 
walking Christian zombies who never share the gospel with anybody else outside the four walls of the church. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. In fact, when I was preparing for this word, I, I felt very convicted reading this passage. The way Jesus talks about sowing and reaping that we're going to get into. I was very convicted. And so this is a lot of self-reflection going on in this passage for myself too. So if you're feeling convicted, that's good. But it's not coming from me. It's coming from the Word of God. It's coming from Jesus, okay? So, so don't, don't get mad at me, okay? I'm just a messenger. All right. So these false ideas. Well, what are we talking about here? Well, I find in this text that there are three main false ideas about the gospel that I'd like to draw out. And really, these false ideas strongly affect the way we share Christ with others or don't share Christ. So here we see in verse 27, the disciples, they're making their judgments strictly on this lady's outward appearance, right? They see that she's obviously a woman. Uh, she must be from Samaria because it's the closest town. She's at this well drawing water. You know, they don't really necessarily hear what Jesus is saying. I don't think the text doesn't really say, but they see what's happening and they see her leave and go back to town. So they didn't think that this lady was the type of person that they would be ministering to, right? Now, remember, the disciples were called to follow Jesus. They saw him performing miracles. They saw him talking to Nicodemus. Remember, Nicodemus came to, to Christ at night and began to ask him questions. Now, Nicodemus was a religious leader. So to the disciples, that probably seemed very normal that a rabbi would be teaching another rabbi, right? The greater rabbi would be teaching Nicodemus of the things of God. That seemed very normal. But directly from that encounter, Jesus goes to someone at the total opposite end of the status spectrum, a woman from Samaria. And in the disciples' minds, they're thinking, like, why is he wasting his time? They probably didn't think that she would receive whatever he was speaking, right? They probably didn't think she would maybe even understand. And this reveals the first false idea of the gospel, and that is this, that the gospel has limited power. That's the first false idea that I think Christians sometimes, maybe subconsciously, but yet we're thinking this, that there has to be certain parameters in place for us to share the gospel, for it to be received, or else it doesn't have any power, or else it's not effective. How many of you have ever said, She's not gonna. She's she's not gonna receive it, or he he wouldn't he wouldn't listen to me, right? Or they're too far gone. They they've they've gone off the deep end. They they've pretty much on, on social media. I can tell that they're just they, they wouldn't listen to a word I had to say about Christianity, about following Christ, about the 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 power of the Holy Spirit to redeem from sin. They they wouldn't listen to any of that. Anybody ever had these thoughts? Or how about this one? And I've had this thought. You know, you, you see some people that are so well off. They have everything. They're financially set. They have an awesome career. Their family looks like everything's going great, right? They're, they're, they're famous. They, they have every, every I dotted, every T crossed. And, and you think, do they even know that they need to be saved? Do they even... 
feel desperate enough to even receive the gospel message? Why would I share it with them? How many of you have ever thought that? You don't have to raise your hand, but I've thought that before. This is limiting the power of the gospel when we think that there are certain conditions required for the gospel to be effective. And when we say or think this way, we're saying the gospel's not strong enough. That it doesn't have power to save certain people. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul has some things to say about this idea. In verse 14 of Romans 1, he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul is saying here that God is no respecter of persons. That the gospel is for the elite and the insignificant. Right? It's for the rich and the poor. Because the gospel is for the lost soul. It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. It doesn't matter what you store up on this earth. If you don't have a revelation of Christ, you are lost. Period. And the gospel has the power to redeem. Period. Amen. Now when we look at this woman from Samaria, as we're looking at this thought of the gospel and its power and how the disciples didn't really perceive that maybe she was a candidate for the gospel. Maybe she was someone that Jesus should even be talking to. This is not the only example that we have. There are so many examples of unlikely people receiving salvation in the New Testament. One example is in Luke chapter 19. We see where Jesus ministers to the wee little man named Zacchaeus. I don't know how wee he was, but probably, I don't know, probably Hunter. Stand up, man. Stand up. So this is Zacchaeus right here. Okay, he was a wee little man. All right, thank you, Hunter. You can sit down. And what's funny about Zacchaeus is he was a wee little man, but he had all the money. And he came knocking at your door to collect your taxes. Right? How many of you would like to receive a knock on your door from the IRS and you open the door and it's this wee little man? Right? You'd be like, what are you going to do, buddy? Anyway, Jesus didn't care about that. Jesus didn't care that no one liked him. Jesus didn't care that, uh, that he wasn't um, a righteous man. Jesus calls Zacchaeus down from the tree because Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. And in verse 9 of Luke 19, it says this, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. And then in verse 10, 
For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come to seek and save the righteous. He didn't come to seek and save the desperate, the poor, the insignificant. He came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus was a lost soul. And Jesus saw beyond what others couldn't see. The others around couldn't understand why Jesus would go and eat with a sinner. Right? That's, what the, that's what it says in, in Luke 19. That Why is he dining with a sinner? But we know that Jesus was seeking to save his soul. In Acts chapter 10, we have this other story where God divinely gives the Apostle Peter this vision. And this man named Cornelius, this vision... They're at separate locations and God gives them these visions that they need to meet up. And so Cornelius sends a messenger to go find Peter and God gives Peter this vision that this messenger is going to come and that Peter needs to go meet Cornelius. Cornelius was not a Jew. Cornelius was a Gentile. And Peter goes to the home of Cornelius where there are other people there. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And God meets Cornelius and that group right where they were at and transforms their hearts. In verse 16 of Romans 1, we read 14 and 15. Verse 16 says, this is the Apostle Paul, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek you see, Paul's not ashamed to share the gospel because its power doesn't come from him. The power comes from God. There's nothing Paul can say special or eloquently or with, with all the wisdom in the world that would persuade the heart in a way that the Holy Spirit couldn't. The Holy Spirit does the work. We are the vessels that God uses, yes, but the Holy Spirit does the work. And what this does is it, it shows us that the gospel's power is not limited. Because if it was up to us, we would limit the gospel. I'm so thankful that I don't have, that, that, that the souls of humanity are not resting on me misspeaking a certain word or, or me you know, stuttering or stumbling. I'm so glad that that's not the case because the Holy Spirit has all power to save. The gospel stands on its own. Yes, we are vessels. Yes, we are called to preach the gospel. We are called to share the gospel. But that's just because Jesus wants to use us. God is going to save His people. And we can either be a part of it or we can stand by and be ineffective. And I believe that God has left us here on this earth for a reason. When we turned to Christ, when we were saved, we remained on this earth. There's really only one reason, one good reason I can think of. That's because there's still work for us to do. There's still souls that we need to speak into. We're, there are seeds we need to sow that God wants to water. 
This is good news that we are not in control, that, that the gospel does not have limited power. Thank God that it's not resting all on us. Now, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2. I'm going to read uh, five verses. In 1 Corinthians 2, I'm going to read verse 1 through 5. It says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's good that it's not up to us. Because if it were left up to us, the faith of the believer would fail, would fall. But because God is working, because it's the power of God, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, that secures us. That, that provides eternal life. That saves our soul from the enemy. And we can now live for the Lord. We sow the seed and God waters the seed. The gospel does not have limited power. The gospel has all power. And another thing this, this means for us is that we don't have to water down the gospel. We don't have to exclude some things from the gospel because, of, because we're afraid that so-and-so won't receive it if we tell it like it is. I want to tell you, the only gospel that saves is the true gospel. The, the, the only gospel that saves is, is the gospel that tells us that we need a Savior because of our sin, that we need saving from something. It's not just God loves you. It's not just God has a plan for your life. It's that Jesus died on the cross because he loves you, because he didn't want you to stay dead in your sins, because he wanted you to have eternal life. And you have that eternal life when you turn your your wicked ways, when you turn to Christ, when you lay your sin at the feet of Christ and you say, Lord, I want you to save me from my sin. I turn to you as my Savior and Lord. At that moment, when, when that person believes that and receives that, they are secure. Their faith is secure, not on what you left out of the gospel, but in the whole gospel. And I'm not pointing the finger at anybody, but... I've seen time and time again where people share Christ with others and they leave out the most important parts of the gospel message, which is that God is saving us. But from what? People need to know that, they, that we are separated from God because of our sin. It's not that we are separated from God because we've never heard of God. It's not God loves you and he wants you to have a relationship with him, period. No, that's, that's semicolon. And he wants you to turn from your sin and repent. And when you do that, 
There's forgiveness of sin. There's redemption. You are no longer bound by your sin, but now you can live for Him. Now you have eternal life through Jesus Christ. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. There's one more little thought I want to attach to this false thought. And that's this, this, it comes from this, that word whoever, right? That whoever believes. You can also say whoever like this, no matter who. It doesn't matter what that person that comes to your mind when it says whoever believes and you're thinking, yeah, but I don't know about this guy or I don't know about them. I've know, I know what they've done. They've killed people. They've fill in the blank, right? They're, they're so far gone. That, in fact, I think I, I want God to judge them. I want something bad to happen to them. They don't deserve salvation. These, these are some wicked thoughts that even Christians can have sometimes where we see wickedness in the world and we've maybe been Christians for so long that, that we somehow think that we are good people, which is not true. We are not good except for the righteousness of the Holy Spirit that is indwelled within us, that, that allows us to live a righteous life unto God because of the Spirit's working in our life. You take away the Holy Spirit, you're just like that person that, that, you're, that comes to mind. You're, you're right there with them. If I, if I don't have the transforming, the Holy Spirit in my life, where am I right now? What, what, what kind of sin am I into? Am I even alive? I don't even know. And so as Christians, we, we need to understand this word in John 3.16 that says that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Remember, Jesus died on the cross over 2,000 years ago, well before we were even here. The Bible tells us we were born into sin. That Jesus, when he hung on that cross, he took our sin, past, current, and future upon him. So we have no, no way to point the finger. Remember, we sow the seed. God waters the seed. doesn't matter who we're sowing into. That's God's work after that. We're just the messenger. God waters the seed. Okay, we've gotten through one verse here tonight. Sorry, I'm taking a little longer than I thought. Okay, are y'all awake out there? Do we need an intermission, have the band come back up? Oh, I still got 15 minutes. Okay. I didn't see that timer back there. All right. Verse 28. So the woman, she leaves her, her water jar there at the well. Uh, she's so impacted by this encounter with Jesus that she has to go... Um, back into town and tell everyone what's happening. Now, I want to quickly point out the, just how the disciples reacted to seeing Jesus talking to this woman and how this woman is, is reacting. Remember, the disciples were like, Jesus, why are you talking to this woman? This is a, a, a Samaritan woman. Like, you were talking to Nicodemus. Like, we get that, but why are you talking to this woman? So they were critical of who Jesus wanted to share 
his revelation with. And this woman, remember, she was probably a woman who didn't have many friends, was probably an outcast, going to draw water. She not only leaves her water jar there, which she's totally changing her agenda at this point. Jesus had so touched her that she has to go back into town and tell whoever will listen about what Jesus had done in her heart. And even tells them, could this be the Christ? And the woman begins to tell her story to, to whoever will listen. She's not ashamed. And we see that the people begin to come to where Jesus is. We see in verse 30 it says that she led a she began to lead a crowd of, uh, began to lead the people back toward towards Jesus. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, "Rabbi, eat." Now, Jesus was hungry. Right? We, we saw that earlier in the chapter. You read about it this morning. Jesus was weary from his journey. So the disciples went into town to get some food. They come back with food. Good job, disciples. It took 12 of you to get some food for Jesus. They come back with food and say, Jesus, you need to eat. Now, Jesus was fully human. He had the same weaknesses and and. Uh, limitations as a man that, that we did. He was also fully God. Don't, don't forget that. He was divine, but yet he was fully human. Jesus was hungry. Sure, he needed to eat. The disciples saw this. Remember, Jesus was tempted by the devil when he was in the wilderness for 40 days. The devil came and tempted him. So we know that Jesus hungered. Jesus needed to eat. He needed to sleep. He needed to rest. But in verse 32, Jesus says to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Okay. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? They're clearly confused. They, they clearly are missing the point. This isn't the first time this has happened. In fact, this is the third time in the last couple of chapters that the people took uh, something uh, physical and, and material and they misinterpreted it. Nicodemus did that when Jesus said, you must be born again in chapter 2. And he was thinking, how am I going to enter my mother's womb again, right? It didn't make sense to him. Even here, the woman at the well, y'all heard it this morning, where Jesus says, I have the living water. And if you drink from this, you, you will be a spring welling up. And the woman's response was, where's your water jar? How, you know, you don't even, how are you going to, you know, she didn't get it. And here are the disciples, they are missing the point. Again, they're looking around for food. Who, who, which one of you gave Jesus food? Uh, he, he doesn't seem to be hungry. So what was Jesus trying to say here? And what Jesus says next here is really profound. And, and this uh, began to convict me as I was reading this passage. In verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. There are two main revelations from Jesus that 
when I read this a few times over because I, I wanted to make sure it made sense. There are two revelations that, that hit me. And the first one is that our source of strength comes from doing the will of God. That as we as believers do the work of the Lord, are in the will of God, it is strength to us. It sustains us. It sustains our spiritual state. It sustains uh, our, our Christian walk. It edifies us. It edifies one another when we see others uh, doing the work of the Lord. It encourages the body of Christ. The second thing is that, that Jesus, I believe, is saying here is that the spiritual needs of others should always come before our own physical needs. Jesus is telling His disciples here, as the, as the, if you can picture the, the crowd approaching Jesus, the disciples looking, seeing the crowd and saying, Jesus, you need to eat. You're hungry. We know that you're hungry. You need to stop and eat. And Jesus is saying, there's still work to be done. Look at the crowd that's coming. We need to minister to these people. I'm not going to stop and eat right now when there's still ministry to be done, when there's still work to be done. And these two points, they show us the second false idea that sometimes we have about the gospel, and that is this, that the gospel is not the most important thing. That there are other things in life that are more important than the gospel. Jesus, in a very practical sense, was teaching his disciples that food comes second to ministry. That, yeah, I'm hungry, but there's work to be done for the kingdom. There's, I still have some business, some of my father's business to do right here before I stop and eat. And what this shows us is that we as believers, sometimes we're going to have to make sacrifices in order to accomplish the Lord's work. We're going to have to make sacrifices because it's work. How many of you have a job? How many of you know it's a sacrifice to get up every morning and go to work? That's why it's called work. The Lord's work is the same. It's not always easy. In fact, it's hardly ever easy, but it's very fulfilling and it's very sustaining. It provides us the strength to carry on when we are working for the Lord. And I could ask you to raise your hand to this question, but it's kind of a rhetorical question. How many of you want to be an effective Christian? Of course. Of course we do. We got to put in the work. We got to put in the time to invest into the things of the Lord. We have to open our eyes and see the needs around us before we meet our own needs. We have to be willing to take the time to minister to others, even when it's inconvenient. Philippians 1.21. The Apostle Paul, again, he's got a lot of great things to say that convict us. He says this, for to, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
And of course, what he's meaning there about to die as gain is, you can kill me, that's fine. I'll be in the presence of Jesus. But the first part of that is what really hits me. To live is Christ. Again, that's why we're still here on this earth. We are saved. Thank you, Jesus. For those of us who are saved, let me, let me hear a thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Right? But we're still here. And so there's still work to be done. To live is Christ. It doesn't say to live is financial security. It doesn't say to live is comfort. To live is Christ. The only way to truly live is to live for Christ. Otherwise, you're not really living. You might be breathing, but you're not living. Philippians 1.27, a few verses down, Paul says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Not only are we to share the gospel, but we're, our lives are to be a reflection that represents the gospel well. That as believers... We are to not only say we're Christians, we're to live like it. We're to be an example to those on the outside who are looking for the truth, who are trying to find the truth in all the wrong places. When they look at your life and then they go to the Word of God, do those things line up? Are you an example of the gospel of Christ? The gospel isn't just the most important thing, it's everything. Amen. Amen. Verse 35. Do, not say, do you not say there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. This first brings us to our third false idea about the gospel and that's that the gospel can wait. That it can wait. There are times in my life, I will admit, where, I, where I've thought this. May not have said it out loud, may not have said it to, may not have admitted it to anybody else. But where I was so self-absorbed or so into whatever I was doing, that in my mind, in the back of my mind, there was no urgency to present the gospel to this person or that person. I was either blinded by my own, uh, my own priorities, my own life, my own problems, or I was just so calloused to the needs around me because I was so preoccupied with my own needs. What Jesus does here in verse 35, he tells the disciples, lift up your eyes and see that the harvest is white. The harvest is, is here now. What are you waiting for, he's saying. The time is now, not later. I have a quick little story that I'll share with you about uh, an experience I had I can't remember if it was last year or the year before. I think my daughter Heidi was with me. It was Christmas time, so I'm out at Walmart. Thank God for Walmart at Christmas time. When Amazon doesn't deliver on time, you still got Walmart. 
But anyway, I was at Walmart, and, you know, there to, to buy my kids Christmas presents. I think Heidi was probably there helping me pick something out for somebody. Coming out of Walmart with, you know, I'm already thinking how much money I spent. Lord, forgive me, you know. Already thinking through all that. And there's this guy there with his little uh, child with a sign, you know, that says, please help. My first thought was, this guy, this guy is, is scamming me right now. He's going he's gonna to stop here. He's going to go to Sam's. He's going to go to Costco. He's going to hit up all the spots, and then he's going to go blow it on who knows what, right? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking all of this kind of stuff. And then right after that, I have this thought. And, and I, you know, I believe it was the Lord, the Holy Spirit, saying, if you're going to give anything to this individual, you need to give them the gospel. And I was so convicted. Thankfully, I went over to the guy and gave him a few dollars. And as I was handing it to him, I said, I said, here, I want to bless you with this. But more than that, I want to tell you about the love of Christ. I begin just quickly to just share with him the gospel message. Now, I didn't know this guy. knew nothing about him. I, he might have even been a believer. I don't know. But when I, after I shared that with him, he, he began to cry. He began to weep. And, you know, it just, I could have easily missed that opportunity. Now, again, I don't know this guy's story, but I could have missed that opportunity because I was... In the, in the moment, right before I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me, I was so preoccupied with my own problems, right? My own, you know, stuff that I was dealing with, you know, Christmas shopping and being busy and all this kind of stuff. The cash I gave him was like my last $20, you know? I'm just kidding. But anyway, I could have missed where God was wanting me to sow a seed. I could have easily missed that. And at times I did miss that. But I believe that when I sowed that seed, that God, even right there, began to water that seed. I don't know where that guy is today. But you know what? I'm okay with that. Because I did what God told me to do. I watered the seed. I shared the gospel. This next portion is just the best part. Now, I know we're kind of running out of time here. If you can bear with me for a few minutes. This, this final portion of this passage is the coolest thing when we're, when we're thinking about evangelizing, when we're thinking about the gospel. In verse 36, so Jesus is telling the disciples, lift up your eyes, look. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is now we don't need to wait. It says in verse 36, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. 
What Jesus is, is saying here is that when we present the gospel, when we share Christ with others, there are hundreds of thousands of other believers doing the same thing right now. That if we could, if we could just fly up into the sky like Google Maps style and instead of searching for a destination, we, we type in everyone witnessing right now. And you begin to see all these little seeds being sown. Right? How cool would that be? That's happening right now. And what Jesus is saying here is that when, when you present the gospel, when you sow a seed, you might not see the fruit of that seed. But someone else will. Someone else will reap the fruit that you have sown. Because when you sow a seed, God waters that seed. You might not see that person ever again. But another believer who is fulfilling the will and the work of God, just like you are, will reap that harvest. And it's this beautiful picture of sowing and reaping. And what I like to call this is the evangelistic law. Okay, the evangelistic law. We have natural laws. We have laws of mathematics. I like to call this the evangelistic law. And it's this phrase that Jesus says here. One sows and another reaps. The gospel and its saving work is not a solo mission. It's not something we do on our own. Even though when we're one-on-one, sometimes it can feel that way. But God is with us when we present the gospel. God is with us when we share Christ with others. And not only is God with us, but believers around the world, us here, we are doing this together. This is a, this is a team mission. This is encouraging news for us that we can simply sow a seed and celebrate that that seed remains and God waters that seed. And we might reap it or someone else might reap it. That's okay. All glory goes to God. All glory. The last four verses, I'm going to go through this quickly. It gives us a picture of evangelism to conversion and what that looks like in these last four verses. It says in verse 39, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus is the one who sowed the seed. When he encountered the woman at the well. Right? He revealed to her that I am the Christ. Then the woman, when she went and gathered the crowd, that was God watering that seed. She went to the people and said, come and see. Is this the Christ? You have to come and see. That seed was being watered. And the crowd was drawn to Jesus. It says that Jesus stayed there a few days to to teach them, to share with them, to reveal things to them that ultimately, 
ultimately led them to not just believe what the Samaritan woman said, but to believe in their hearts that what they had seen and heard was the Savior of the world. So we see the transformed heart that all started with Jesus sowing to the Samaritan woman, sowing that seed, and how that seed was watered through the Holy Spirit, through the divine intervention of God, and then the heart was transformed. See, when we present the gospel, it's God who does the work. Just to recap, the gospel has all power. It doesn't have limited power. It has all power. The gospel is the most important thing, and it is the main thing. And the gospel cannot and does not wait. The harvest is always ready. One sows and another reaps. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord, that sometimes it it cuts. and, And I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that reveals things to us and and is constantly challenging us, yet encouraging us. The challenge is to be bold in the gospel, to to not uh, let our own thoughts get in the way of of the encounters you're bringing before us to share Christ. And the encouragement is that we're not alone, that you are with us, that that it's, it's the Holy Spirit working through us when we share the truth of the gospel. And we thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for, for what you're doing in this church, what you're doing in each one of us as your followers. I pray that you would help us to be uh, living testimonies of your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.